Praise the Lord. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 20. We'll look at one of our great text scriptures in verse 27 on the subject of developing in spirit. We have been uh, teaching for the last number of weeks. I don't know exactly how long we've been going, but a while anyway, on uh, being a spirit-filled and spirit-led Christian. And we've identified certain things in order to get into that subject and to begin that topic you've got to uh, lay some foundation lay some groundwork and so we've talked about the threefold threefold part of man the bible says in first thessalonians 5 23 that man is a spirit he has a soul and he lives in a body and then we talked about the development of the spirit how to develop in spirit we located the spirit first of all and then we talked about how to develop him and there are four steps to that step number one is to meditate in the word Step number two is to be a doer of the word. Step number three is to give the word first place. And step number four is to instantly obey the voice of your spirit. Well, now we're talking about how to follow the voice of the spirit, specifically being led by the inward witness. Now, in in Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 27, the Holy Ghost inspires the writer to say the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. Searching all the inward parts of the belly. Now, the word candle is the word lamp, and and that was the only way they had to, to light darkened rooms or or anything else for that matter in his day and so what he's saying one translation a modern translation says the spirit of man is the searchlight of the lord i like that well you know what it's like to drive down the road and see a a light up in the sky and it's moving around and sometimes and stuff like that people use it for advertising purposes and the purpose for that is for you to be able to follow that light to the source well that's what it means here it's saying the spirit of man is the candle, is the searchlight of the Lord that he uses to lead you to the source of information that you need for victory in your life. Now, we've looked at this before, but I want to draw your attention back to Psalm 18, verse 28. Because David is writing something, what he knows about this, we don't really know. We don't know if he understands the new birth to come. We don't know if he understands what it means to be born again. We don't know if he understood any of those things, but we do know that he was led of the Holy Ghost to write this in his Psalm 18, verse 28. He said, the Lord will light my candle. The Lord will light my candle. The Lord, my God, will enlighten my darkness. What does he mean? He's saying God's the one that's responsible for enlightening me on the things that I don't know. He's saying God's the one that's responsible for bringing me information that I need or direction that I need so that I can walk in his will and according to his purpose. And how is he going to do that? He's going to do it by lighting my candle. Now I want to draw your attention to John chapter 1. John begins his gospel in a very unique way. He starts off in verse 1. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, verse 2 says. Well, he's talking about a personality. The same was in the beginning with God. He's saying that Jesus is the Word of God. He's talking about the personality of Jesus. Verse 3, he goes on to explain. He said, uh, and everything that was made was made by him, meaning Jesus, and there was nothing made that wasn't made by him. Now, verse 4 is the one I want you to see. And in him, in Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. Now, that word life is the word zoe. It's the Greek word zoe. It's a a word that's specifically used every time that it's talking about the life of God. Now, God didn't invent the word. I mean, there are other writings, uh, Greek writings and things like that, that the word zoe is used. So it doesn't always mean the life of God. But every place it's used in Scripture in the New Testament, particularly in the Gospels, uh, by Jesus, he's talking about a quality of life. 
This is the same life that he refers to in John chapter 5, verse 26, where he says, as the father have life in, has life in himself, so has he also given the son to have life in himself. In other words, he's saying, Jesus is saying the same life I've got is the life of the father. Same quality of life. Jesus went further to say in John chapter 10 and verse 10, the thief comes not but for to kill, steal, and to destroy, but I am come that you might have life, the life of God, and to have it more abundantly. So if we put all these things together, what do we conclude? Well, there's one way that God's going to lead you, and that's by your spirit. But in order for your spirit to be a safe guide, he's going to have to light your spirit or light your candle. That light comes when we receive the life of God by making Jesus the Lord of our lives. Now, you can understand that everybody was born a spirit being. Every human being on the earth is a spirit being. But not, not every spirit being has the light of God's life to guide their spirits. Think of it like this. Since they used uh, candles in the in uh, uh, Old Testament times to lighten darken rooms, how good a guide would be a dark, uh, an unlit candle? You could walk around, stub your toe. You might find something every now and then. You might stumble across something that you were looking for every now and then. But pretty soon you'd figure out that unlit candle is going to be a pretty unsafe guide. Well, in the same way, the, the candle or the spirit of the unsaved is an unreliable guide when it comes to direction and victory in life. But for the Christian, it's just the other way around. Every Christian, every believer should expect to be led by the Spirit of God. But then the real kicker comes, how do we recognize that leading? Now turn with me over to John chapter 8. I'm sorry, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. Here's another one of our golden texts on this subject. Paul's writing to the church and he says, for as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. That tells us that every child of God can be led by the spirit of God and every child of God should expect to be led by the spirit of God. But again, the question is how? How's he going to lead us? Well, verse 16 says, the spirit himself beareth witness with our spirits, not our, not our bodies, not our flesh. He bears witness with our spirits that we are the sons or the children of God. So what's he saying? He's saying the Holy Ghost is not going to lead you through natural things. He's not going to lead you through circumstance. He's not going to lead you through experience. He's not going to lead you through feelings. He's not going to lead you through thoughts. All those are part of the spirit. All those are part of the soul and the body. Instead, he's going to lead you through your spirit. Well, how does he lead us through our spirit? He just tells you in verse 16, by the inward witness. By the inward witness. Now, um, when we talk about being led by the inward witness, there's a lot of things that we could refer to. And, and to be honest with you, I could tell you ex the stories and experiences about the inward witness and how God led me in this or that or the other and in, in a, a variety of ways. We could stay here all day long and not exhaust just stories that I could, could tell you in my own experience. And experiences are fine as long as they line up with the word. But my experience isn't any better than your experience if it doesn't line up with the word. So let's look at the word and see a, a, a great experience that we have a great example that we have of someone being led by the Holy Ghost. Now, the Holy Ghost was smart enough to know what kind of Bible we'd have. And this is the very reason he inspired the writer of the book of Acts, which was Luke, to, to give us this example. I want you to turn back with me to, uh, to Acts chapter 19, if you will. Let's look at an example of how Paul was led by the Holy Ghost in his life and in his ministry. Acts chapter 19 tells us of one of the greatest, well, the greatest, really, ministry experience of Paul's life 
It tells us how that uh, he was in Ephesus. He wound up being in Ephesus for almost three and a half years. It tells us in verse 10, all they that dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. In other words, he had a a revival. He had a a ministry experience. I don't know what what you want to call it, whatever terminology you want to give to it. He had a, a ministry result that caused from one city, one crossroad city, which was the city of Ephesus, um, from one city, the gospel spread to all of Asia. Now, that's better than going to Asia. See, a lot of times we think we, we've got it figured out how we need to help God out and how we need to do this and how we need to do that. God's got a way to get things done that, that might seem contrary to what you think is the best way to go. Well, this was the case with Paul. Paul had tried to go into Asia before, and the Holy Ghost said, don't go there. Well, why? Because the Holy Ghost didn't want him to reach Asia? No, because he wanted him to reach Asia in the best way. So he sends him to Ephesus, winds up sending him to Ephesus along with some other places. And from Ephesus, the revival of the ministry experience, the ministry results they get, cause all of Asia to hear the word in a two-year period of time. Well, you couldn't walk through Asia in two years. Paul couldn't have taken his ministry company and covered all of Asia in a two-year period. It would have been impossible. Yet God knew the way to get it done. Folks, God always knows the way to get it done. That's why we need to be sensitive to his plan and his purpose rather than running out and trying to figure out how to do it ourselves. That's why the Bible says that the Holy Ghost will lead you by your spirit, not by your understanding, not by your thinking, not by your ability to reason. Now, that doesn't mean you shut your mind off and never never use good, good common sense or business sense or anything else. It doesn't mean that at all. It means you don't put that first. See, one of the, the third step of, of developing in spirit is give the word of God first place. Well, that means you don't give your thinking first place then. And it also means you don't give the Holy Spirit first place. It means you give the word of God first place. Why? Because if you learn what the word of God says about God's plan and purpose, then you'll recognize when the Holy Ghost is leading you. Because he'll never lead you contrary to the word. The Bible says the word and the spirit agree. I remember um, well, there were several situations, several examples that I could tell you about, but, but the one I'm thinking of uh, happened about, uh, oh, I don't know, about a year and a half ago. A uh, lady came to me after a healing school service one Sunday night, and she came up, and oh, boy, she was just so complimentary. I mean, I was just the best thing since sliced bread, you know. She was telling me how great I was and how, how this, that, and the other. And, uh, and I'm always kind of leery about that, you know. It's kind of like, okay, what do you want? But she didn't want anything, or at least didn't seem to. But she was telling me how she had been watching us on TV and, and you know, following the services on the Internet and, and downloading some of the archive services and stuff like that. No, she just was so blessed by the Word. And then after about five minutes of just lathering it on about as thick as she could, then she said, now, I want to, I want to tell you something the Lord has showed me. And I thought, okay, here we go. And she started proceeding. She began to, to tell me about some revelation she had about how the Lord had showed her certain things. It's not even important to tell you what the revelation is about. But she began to tell me this, that, and the other, and she got about two minutes into it. And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute sister. I said, uh, okay, I understand that, that you think the Lord has given you this, but you do understand that the Holy Ghost, which would be the, the one that delivered this message to you, can't tell you anything or can't lead you in opposition to the Word. She said, oh, yes, I know that. And I said, well, the word says this, that, and the other. And I started quoting some scripture. And I turned the Bible, showed her a couple of things, handed the Bible to her so she could read it for herself. I said, that directly contradicts the revelation you think you've got. 
Well, all of a sudden, I wasn't such hot stuff. Her face fell. I mean, you just everything about her is almost like she collapsed. And she got this pitiful whine to her voice and she said, well, I thought you knew the Lord. And she turned around and walked off. And I thought to myself, bless this lady's heart. Goodness gracious. Now, what did she do? She put her revelation in front of the word. She gave her revelation first place. Folks, anything you think or I think or anybody else thinks that contradicts the word can't be from God. Can't be. That's why putting the word first place is such an important thing. I got an email this, uh, this last week from a lady that uh, um, lives some distance away. I'm not sure exactly how far away it is, but some, it's far enough away where she can't come, but every now and then. She's been twice to our church. She said, the first time I came, I had just seen you that Sunday morning on TV. And you had mentioned there was some kind of uh, promo on there for healing school. And a lot of times we put a blurb on there. Maybe, maybe every week, I don't know. Uh, I don't watch myself, so somebody else has to tell me. Um, I'll serve God and do just about anything, but I, that's just too far for me. I just can't watch myself. So anyway, she said, uh, I saw the advertisement for healing school, so we came that night. And she said, I'm, I'd been diagnosed with uh, multiple sclerosis, MS. And she said... Uh, uh, I came up to you after the service, and, and I was just sure that you were going to lay hands on me and pray for me when I told you what the situation was, and, and you didn't do it. Well, that sounds like me. She said, you sent me back to the bookstore to get some materials on healing. Well, that sounds like me too. And she said, I was really disappointed. I thought, oh, my goodness, my chance to be healed is gone. She said, but I, I did what you said. I went back and I got the book that you told me to. And you had also referred me to the website and told me about some of the messages and different things that I could download and listen to and, and so forth. She said, I want to tell you that I have listened to every healing school service that you've got on, online. And she said, the word of God has changed my life. She said, now I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. I understand what belongs to me. She said, I'm, I believe I received my healing. I'm standing in faith for my healing. And she said, and even though I don't go by what it looks like, my symptoms are starting to diminish. Well, why? Because she put the word first. Because she put the word first place. I think a lot of times we make a mistake by praying for people too quickly. Because their idea is we're going to give God a shot. But God doesn't work on shots. God works through his word. The Bible says in Psalm 107, verse 20, it says he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. He sent his word and healed them. Not he took a shot and healed them. And I think a lot of times people aren't in a position to pray. Now, that's true where healing is concerned. It's true where other things are concerned. I think sometimes people are too quick to pray. A crisis arises or some kind of bad report comes up and immediately people want to pray. Well, if you put the word first place, that means you're not even putting prayer first place. So the first thing we ought to do is go to the word and remind ourselves. We may already know, but we need to remind ourselves. What does the word say about this? You spend a day or so. Reminding yourself of the word, soaking yourself back in the word and the promises that it makes to you. Then you're in a position to pray. Then you can pray with confidence. Then you can pray knowing what God's will is. Now, I know some things are, are, are immediately immediate and some of, there are some emergency, emergencies that arise. I understand that. I get that. But nine times out of ten, that's not the case. 
So we shouldn't treat every situation like it is an emergency. We should take time to find out what the Word says. Amen? Well, Paul found out what God's plan was just simply by following the Holy Ghost. He wanted to go one way. It looked to him like it would be good to go into Asia, but the Holy Ghost said, no, don't go there. Go here instead. And by going here instead, he winds up reaching all of Asia. So that by the space of two years, all of Asia had heard the word. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. I wonder if God would have wrought those special miracles if he had disobeyed the inward witness and gone into Asia anyway. See, we all want the blessings of God. We all want the power of God in our lives. But a lot of that has to do with following the inward witness. Folks, the blessings of God lie where God puts you, not wherever you choose to go. Amen. That's true whether you like it or not. And a lot of times we we remove ourselves from God's best and the opportunity for God to do miraculous things because we're operating on our own, own understanding to do what we want to do first and then we say, now God fix this. Well, I'm glad God is a fixer. But there's a better way for, than for God to fix things. And that is for him to lead you by the Holy Ghost. Amen. So God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from the hands of Paul, or from his body, were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs and aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Sounds like a big-time ministry result, doesn't it? I mean, you can build a church on that. And even, even the supernatural results go beyond that. It says, Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits, the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. In other words, they didn't know Jesus for themselves. They see the results Paul's getting by casting the devil out of people and, and people being delivered. And so they start trying to do that on their own. Well, if Paul can do this, we can do this too. Paul's doing it by the name of Jesus, so we'll use the name of Jesus. Folks, the name of Jesus is powerful, but you've got to know who it is. So they said, We adjure you, speaking to the evil spirits in these people that were possessed. He said, We adjure you in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches come out of him. And the evil spirits answered back. They probably didn't plan on that. There were seven sons of one Seba, a Jew and chief of the priests, which did so. This is what religious people do, folks. They're operating on somebody else's blessing. Verse 15, and the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? Folks, if the devil ever asks you that, you better have an answer. It's not enough for the devil to know who Jesus is. And it's not enough for the devil to know who Paul was. But you've got to make sure he knows who you are. In other words, you've got to make the word real in yourself. It's got to be real to you. It can't just be real to somebody else. You can't live off somebody else's testimony. Get your own testimony by putting the word of God in practice in your life. And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them. Seven of them. This one guy leaps on these seven, seven sons of Sepa. Men in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Beat them up, stripped their clothes off of them. Now the Bible doesn't say so, but I'm pretty well convinced that they didn't try that again. But what happened? Verse 17, and this was known to all the Jews and the Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus. Everybody knows about these seven guys running naked down the street. And fear fell on them all. Fear fell on the whole city. 
And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Why? Because they recognize the name has power when you know how to use it. Even though these guys failed because they didn't know anything about the name, they didn't know Jesus for themselves, they still recognized the name of Jesus has power. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Now, this is, these next couple of verses are, are outstanding, uh, really astounding. Because it says believers kept hold of their occult practices. It says many of the, of the believers, many that believed came. That means they were believers. They came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also, which used curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the prices of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. In today's uh, economy, that'd be about $12 million worth of stuff. Can I ask you a question? What are believers doing that they have to come and confess their deeds about? And what are believers doing with all this occult stuff that they wind up burning and throwing away? Why are they mixing Christianity with everything else? Now, this is in the middle of a city where there's a great revival. This is going on in the middle of God moving in miraculous ways, doing special miracles by the hands of Paul. Yet look at the condition of the church. Now, when they do come and confess their deeds, that means they stop doing the things and, uh, and commit themselves to stop doing the things that they already know are wrong. And when they get rid of everything else and say, okay, Christianity is the thing for us. It's not Christianity in our little Buddha statue. It's not Christianity in our little magical rub stone or whatever those things are called. It's not God and something else. It's putting the word of God first now. Notice what happens when the church did that. What is it? Verse 20. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Now, folks, again, I've got to repeat myself. They had a great revival before this. But when the people committed themselves completely, that's when the word of God began to mightily grow and prevail. In other words, that means they had an even greater display of the power of God. That's what prevailed means, isn't it? So Paul, after having the greatest ministry results in any city that he ever went to, you'd think that that'd be the place for Paul to say, well, here's where God wants me to spend the rest of my life. Man, look at the results we're having. But notice what it says in verse 21. It said, after these things, after these things were ended, Paul purposed in the spirit Another translation says the Spirit moved Paul to plan. When he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. Now, there's a lot of controversy. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but there's a lot of controversy in, uh, in church circles, religious circles, and so forth about whether or not Paul missed God. Let me, let me answer the question first and foremost so that you can get the most out of this story, okay? Hold your finger here and turn with me over to chapter 23. Paul finally does get to Rome. I'm, I'm sorry, Paul finally gets to Jerusalem, and after that he goes to Rome. And while he's at Jerusalem, there's a big stir and a big big riot that, that comes up, and he's brought before the council, and he has to answer some things and uh, before them and, and so forth. And uh, at, the, at the end of that meeting with the council, 
It, during the night, verse 11, it says, In the night following, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for thou ha- as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so thou must bear witness also in Rome. Now, if Paul had missed God, this would have been the place for Jesus to say, What in the world are you doing here? Wouldn't it? If Paul was somewhere he shouldn't have been, wouldn't this be the opportunity for the Holy Ghost or for Jesus to say in this vision, for Jesus to say, Paul, I've been trying to lead you away from here. But he doesn't. He commends him. He says, you've done the right thing in that you have come here. And just like you've testified of me here, you're going to have to do the same thing in Rome. In other words, Jesus is confirming that Paul is and has done according to the will and the plan and the purpose of God. Can everybody see that? I mean, there's no way that Paul would have been here out of the will of God and Jesus to say, good job. Now I've got another one for you. And I want you to compare what Jesus said with what Paul said that he had in his spirit by the inward witness, where it says he purposed in the spirit in Acts chapter 19, verse 21, as he purposed in the spirit, that simply means he had an inward witness about what he was supposed to do. Now, folks, this changes the course of the world. Paul going to Jerusalem and then going to Rome changes the course of the world. It changes the direction that Christianity went. It made all the difference in the, in, in the church and, and really even beyond the church in the makeup of the world as we know it. And it all came about by the inward witness. Notice in chapter 19, verse 21, after these things were ended, Paul purposed in the spirit saying what? After I have been to Jerusalem, I must also see Rome. Let me repeat again what Jesus said in, in Acts 23, verse 11. Be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. Paul had the same thing in his spirit that Jesus winds up telling him some months later. Now, which was more supernatural? It'd be easy for us to say, well, when Jesus speaks to you, that's got to be better. But it's the same result. Maybe more spectacular, but it's not any more supernatural. Paul had the supernatural witness of God's plan and purpose in Acts chapter 19 and verse 21. And everybody that he comes in contact with is going to try to talk him out of it. Let me show you. Look to chapter 20. Paul winds up going to certain places. Um, he goes through Macedonia. He finds out that the Jews are laying wait for him in, in uh Syria, I think it is. So he goes to a different direction and that kind of stuff. Everybody's trying to kill him. The devil knows that, that Paul is out of control as far as the gospel is concerned. So he does everything he can to try to kill him. And so he's escalating his activities against Paul. And, and the Holy Ghost warns Paul one way or another just about at every turn. And so Paul escapes from the, the, the plans of the enemy and the, the Jews that are being used by the devil. And so he's in uh, Miletus. In chapter 20 and verse 17, he's gone uh, a, a circuitous route to get to certain places, going back through Macedonia. And then he calls for the elders of Ephesus. He doesn't want to go back to Ephesus. And so he calls for the elders of the church at Ephesus to come to him. And it says, uh, verse 18, And when they were come to him, he said unto them, You know that from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you in all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations. Temptations is the word adversities. With many tears and temptations or adversities which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, 
But I've showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and a faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, he's saying, I haven't held back anything from you. You know that. You know how I lived in front of you. I've been with you for three and a half years when I was in Ephesus. You know how I lived. You know how I lived publicly. You know how I lived privately. I taught you the same thing in public that I taught you in private. Verse 22. And now, behold, I go. Notice the phrase Paul uses. And Luke is uh, one of Paul's company. He was there when this happened. He's given us an eyewitness account. He said, and now I go bound in the spirit. Bound in the spirit. How did he become bound in the spirit? Chapter 19, verse 21 says he purposed in the spirit or the spirit moved Paul to plan to go to Jerusalem and after that to go to Rome. Now he's bound in the spirit. In other words, it's stronger. The more you follow the inward witness, the stronger that impression gets. Do you understand what I'm saying? The more you give attention to the inward witness, the leading of the Holy Ghost in your spirit. The more you give attention to that inward witness, the stronger and stronger and stronger it becomes. The greater confidence and assurance you have. I know some of the things that I've done in my life, some of the even the most important things I've done in my life that brought fruit, you know, bore results, spiritual results. It, it started off with just, well, I don't know, it just seems like I ought to do this. It wasn't anything real strong. It wasn't, it wasn't some big push or, or prompting. It just, I don't know, it just seems like I ought to do this. And then the more and more I got into it, the more confident I was, I'm doing what God wanted me to do. It just gets stronger and stronger. The things of God grow. The things of the devil won't. Ideas you come up with on your own won't. You can have a great idea today and tomorrow forget what it was. It's not that way with the things of the Spirit of God. What's a good idea today or what seems right by the Holy Ghost today, it'll seem right by the Holy Ghost tomorrow. And as a matter of fact, as you give attention to it, it'll even grow. You'll become more and more confident in it. So he says, and now, behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem. It's going to be important that he uses that phrase, and you'll understand why in a minute, if you don't know the story. And now I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. He says, I don't know everything's going to happen. I don't know why I'm supposed to go, in, in total at least. And here's another thing you need to know. The inward witness doesn't lay everything out before you so that you know the end before the beginning. It's just a prompting. Go here. Do this. It's just something. It seems like this is the way to go. Well, why does it seem like it's the way to go? I don't know. I just can't really put my finger on it. But it just seems like it's the thing to do. That's the way the Holy Ghost leads you. And now I know. Now I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save or accept. In other words, he's saying, here's one thing I do know. Don't know everything's going to happen there, but here's one thing I do know. Save that in the Holy Ghost, save that or accept that. The Holy Ghost witnesses in every city. That means everywhere he's gone from Ephesus, chapter 19, verse 11 or verse 21, all the way up into chapter 20, when he gets back to Miletus and calls the elders of the church at Ephesus back to him. He's saying every city I've been to, the Holy Ghost witnesses to me in that city, saying that bonds and afflictions await or abide me. He's saying, when I go to Jerusalem, one thing I do know is I'm going to be put in chains. That's what the Holy Ghost is witnessing to me in every city. Every city. Well, folks, I would submit to you that most Christians would turn around and go back at that point. Well, if the Holy Ghost is showing me that, that bonds and afflictions await me, then that must mean I'm not supposed to go. Yet Paul says he's bound in the Spirit to keep going. Why? The next verse. Verse 23, uh, verse 24. He says, but none of these things move me. I love this guy. 
But none of these things move me. That's the kind of Christians we need. We need the kind of Christians that no matter what trouble awaits, if you know you're in the will of God, you keep going. God never promised you that his will would not be fraught with trouble. He never promised that the Holy Ghost wouldn't try, that the, the devil would try, would not try to stop you when you're walking in line with God's will. Never. It's like the guy that came up to Brother Hagin and said, I want you to pray, Brother Hagin. He said, well, what do you want me to pray for? He said, I want you to pray that I won't have any more trouble with the devil. Brother Hagin said, you want me to pray that you're going to die? Well, that's not what he had in mind. Well, as long as you and I are here on the earth, you're going to have trouble with the devil. It's going to happen. The question is, does the trouble with the devil move you? Does the trouble with the devil cause you to change course? That's exactly why he tries to stir up trouble, because he's trying to get you to change course. You step out on the word, you step out to receive your healing by faith or receive any other promise of God by faith. The devil is going to try to throw every circumstance that he can at you to try to make you realize there's trouble if I go this way. Because he wants to try to turn your direction, try to get you to go a different way. Well, where is victory? Victory is in keeping to the word. Not in going to the path of least resistance. The Bible says that's one of the characteristics of a fool. He chooses the path of least resistance. We've got a lot of Christian fools. Paul says, but none of these things move me. Every city I go to, the Holy Ghost is saying that bonds and afflictions await me. You're going to find trouble when you get to Jerusalem. But none of these things move me. But what does move you, Paul? None of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. Paul's purpose, the thing that moves him, is to finish his course with joy, to be able to stand up and say, I followed God. And folks, he's not saying joy comes when you don't run into trouble. He's saying joy comes when you follow the inward witness, the leading of the Holy Ghost. That's where real joy is in life. Not when you find things that are always easy. Not when you're popular. Not when things are, you know, your pocket's full of money and everybody feels good in the house. That's not joy. I mean, that may be joyful. But real joy comes by following the Holy Ghost. Now, those things can be real joy if they're the result of you following the Holy Ghost. That's the fruit of your reward or the fruit of your labor. But real joy is independent of whether or not things are comfortable. Joy comes... Sincere joy, true joy, comes by following the Holy Ghost, being led of the Lord. So he said, none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. That's what's important to me, finishing my course with joy. And the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel, the grace, the gospel of the grace of God. So then he warns them. He says, you're going to have to take care of things in my absence. Verse 38 says they were all sorrowful and fell on his neck and all that kind of stuff because of the words that he said that he would never see their face again. Paul is convinced, I'll never see you guys again. He knows this is a life and death situation. Or at least he's impressed of of the fact that it's a life and death situation. I'm not going to come back here because of the bad things and the tough places and the, the bonds and the prison sentence and whatever else is waiting for me in Jerusalem and in Rome. I'm not going to make it here again. So you guys are going to have to take care of it on your own without me. That's how serious it is. And Paul says in the face of that, he says, I'm not moved. What are they going to do? Kill me? Then I go to heaven. 
for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. I don't count my life dear unto myself. I don't care. As long as I'm in the will of God, I don't care what happens. What a guy. What an example for us to follow. Now turn with me over to chapter 21. Chapter 21 tells him tells us, first of all, he sails to a certain place and he lands at Tyre, the city of Tyre. Verse 4, it says, in finding disciples, we tarried there seven days. Now notice this phrase, who, the disciples, said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. Now before this time, Paul has said that the Holy Ghost witnesses in every city that bonds and afflictions await him. We don't know what that witnessing looked like. We don't know what people said that caused him to, to include them in that group of witnessing that bonds and afflictions await me. It could be something similar to this or it could be something different. But here we see in chapter 21 and verse 4 that these disciples at Tyre are so sure of the trouble that Paul is going to have, they try to talk him out of going. Now, I'm, I'm just going to throw this out. We'll prove it to you the further we go, a little bit further in this chapter. But just because somebody says you shouldn't do it doesn't mean that you shouldn't. Just because somebody knows something by the Holy Ghost about the future doesn't mean they're putting their right interpretation on what they know. Let me say that again. Just because somebody has a witness in their heart about what's coming does not mean they put their right interpretation on what the Holy Ghost is revealing to them or witnessing to them. These guys did not. They've concluded that Paul shouldn't go because of the trouble. Paul's on a totally different wavelength, though. He says, I don't care about the trouble. I'm going to go no matter what. I'm going to go because God wants me to go. Trouble doesn't matter to me. Well, trouble does matter to them. And it may be sincere. It may be their attitude is the same as the the elders at the church at Ephesus. They may be so concerned about Paul and what happens to him, they don't want to lose him. Well, that's understandable, isn't it? If Paul has has, uh, indicated something to them like he did to the church at Ephesus, or the elders of the church at Ephesus, then maybe they're saying, we're not willing to lose you. Don't go, Paul. Don't go. So they're sincere. They may be sincere in their attempt to keep him from going, but their direction or their advice is contrary to the plan and the purpose of God. I'm sure glad Paul didn't listen to them. But notice it says they said it through the Spirit. That does not mean what they concluded is the Holy Ghost speaking. It means they had a witness from the Holy Ghost about what was coming. And then they said, they said, not the Holy Ghost, but they said, Paul, don't go. Well, what is the Holy Ghost saying? Was the Holy Ghost saying, don't go? No. The Holy Ghost was saying, there's trouble awaiting you. Now, why does the Holy Ghost keep doing this? Why does the Holy Ghost keep witnessing to these people? the trouble that's waiting for Paul in in Jerusalem and in Rome. Why does this keep happening? Every city that Paul goes to, why do the believers know that trouble is ahead for Paul? Is the Holy Ghost trying to tell Paul not to go? Clearly not. I'll prove it to you in just a minute. Well, then what is happening here? It's showing us the condition of the church where believers had a spiritual perception about what was coming so that they could prepare for it. Folks, sometimes the Holy Ghost will show you things to try to change them. And sometimes he'll show you things so you can prepare for them. Let me show you this. Hold your finger here. We'll come back to chapter 21. But turn back with me to 2 Kings chapter 20. 2 Kings chapter 20. 
I'm going to start reading in verse 1. It says, In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. And the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thy house in order, for thy shalt die and not live. Good news from the prophet, huh? Then he, Hezekiah, turned his face to the wall and prayed unto the Lord, saying, I beseech thee, Lord, remember now how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. And it came to pass before Isaiah was gone out or had left the middle court that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Turn again. And tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people, Thus saith the Lord, the God of David thy father, I have heard thy prayer, I have seen thy tears, and behold, I will heal thee. On the third day thou shalt go up into the house of the Lord, and I will add unto thy days fifteen years. Now which one was right? Here's contradicting things that the Holy Ghost said. Holy Ghost said to Isaiah, or at least he says so, he says, Thus saith the Lord, set your house in order, for you're going to die and not live. Verse 1. A couple of verses later, after Hezekiah prays and turns his face to the wall, the word of the Lord comes to Isaiah and says, go back and tell Hezekiah, I'll give him, I'll heal him and give him 15 more years. Which one's right? Both of them. The Holy Ghost in verse one was showing Hezekiah what was going to happen under the current circumstances. That doesn't mean those current circumstances can't be changed. Why? Because it, it depends on and pertains to him and him alone. Sometimes the Holy Ghost will show you things so you change them. He'll show you what's coming so that you can pray and make a change. Alter whatever you need to do. Make whatever changes need to be made so that you can change those things. But there are other times the Holy Ghost shows you things that you can't change. He's showing you so that you'll prepare for them. It's my opinion in Acts chapter 21 that the Holy Ghost is showing, and not just in in chapter 21, but in all the cities that Paul went to, that the Holy Ghost was showing the disciples, the believers, those people that loved Paul, showing them what was ahead so that they could prepare for it. Well, how do you prepare for it? Well, if you're never going to see anybody again, wouldn't you want to tell them goodbye? I know when my dad was in the hospital, he had... uh, Lung cancer, and they had removed parts of his lung and, and really taken all of both lungs that he could. He was a heavy smoker. He smoked from the time he was a teenager, you know, 12, 13 years old, something like that, two and three packs a day. And, of course, back then everybody didn't understand the, the health hazards and so forth, but he had been a heavy smoker all of his life. And so he wound up in the hospital. They had done everything they could do for him, and, and uh, they had drained his lungs and as many times as they could and those kind of things. And um, uh, I was sitting in the hospital room with him. And um, all of a sudden, the presence of God just came in the room. Now, folks, I didn't know what the presence of God was. I'm still Baptist. Started going to the, pre- to the Pentecostal church a little bit. But I don't know beans about beans. I mean, Holy Ghost came in the room, and I recognized that he was there. And it scared me. I mean, it was, and no reason why it should. It was a peace of God. There was just a peaceful presence that came in that room. And, and I, I've never experienced anything since then. In the same manner, at least not as strong. And the Holy Ghost was trying to give me a chance to say goodbye my, to my dad. But it scared me. It spooked me. I got up and ran. I was reading a little magazine, sitting there talking to dad a little bit, you know. And uh, it happened. He came in the room. And I said, well, I guess I got to go. I'll see you tomorrow. Well, tomorrow never came. He died that night. And I'm convinced. I know as much as I know my name that that was the Holy Ghost trying to give me an opportunity to say goodbye to my dad. Sure wish I'd taken that. Well, what was it? 
that was a witness of the Holy Ghost. It's Holy Ghost trying to prepare me for something. But because I didn't know anything about being led by the Spirit, because I didn't recognize how spiritual things worked, I'm operating according to my flesh. So I got scared and I ran. Sometimes the Holy Ghost will show you things to try to prepare you. Some things you can't change. So he shows you to prepare you. I know that um, after this, uh, uh, not the last election, but the first election for President Obama was elected. He took office in 2009. Uh, it was uh, early in 2010, I think it was. It was shortly after his first year in office that um, some of us began to see how things were going to go. Well, some of us saw how things were going to go beforehand, but then they started going that way. And so, so I'm praying. I'm praying, oh, Lord, you know, we need to do something to get the country back on track. This isn't in line with your plan and purpose and so forth. And in um, early 2010, I'm in the prayer meeting on Sunday afternoon, and, and I just know. There's no word from the Lord. I just know Obama's going to be elected a second term. Well, man, I, I start thinking about that. Is he showing me this so I can pray and change it? Or is he showing me to this to prepare me? I sure hope it's that he wants me to change this. And, man, I prayed hot and heavy for the next three years. Well, I couldn't change it. And I think I knew all the time I couldn't change it. I was just hoping I could. I was hoping he was showing other people the same thing. And to much of my surprise, all of my pastor friends and other people I'd talked to, it looked like the perfect situation for the other guy to be reelected or for the other guy to be elected and Obama to be replaced in office. I mean, it was a perfect storm. You got unemployment at 8 point something percent. Real unemployment at about 10 or 12 at the time. The economy is tanking. I mean, who wants to keep the guy that's keeping that going? It looked like the perfect storm for somebody to replace him. And all my pastor friends are saying, oh, yes, and God said to me this was going to happen all the time on the inside. I'm thinking, no, it's not. It's not going to happen. Well, Obama was reelected. Some of my pastor friends are still devastated. I mean, they've lost all the fight. They're just wiped out because they weren't prepared for it. But for me, when it happened, it was kind of like, well, yeah, I kind of knew that. Hoped it wasn't. Hoped I was wrong. Hoped I wasn't really hearing from God. Didn't have the witness in my spirit about this. But as a result, I'm a whole lot better in, I'm in a whole lot better shape and better prepared for this next several years than they are. They've got to go back and get some, get some kind of motivation again. But for me, uh, we're just moving right along. Right where we were. God wants to help prepare you for things. The Holy Ghost, the Bible says in uh, John chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus said, when the comforter has come, he will guide you into all truth. Well, another translation says guide you into all reality. Jesus defines or describes the word of God as truth. God wants to lead you into victory. The Holy Ghost is given to be your guide into victory, if you'll put the word first. Well, part of victory for us as a church is to know what's coming down the road. And Jesus said that. He said the Holy Ghost will show you things to come. We need to know things that are coming down the road so that we can be prepared for them, so that we can be in place when they, take, when they occur, in the right place when they occur. Do you understand what I'm saying? All right, back to Acts chapter 21. Verse 4, and finding disciples, we tarried there seven days. Who, the disciples, said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up in Jerusalem. Well, they're not the ones that know. 
They've got their idea. They've got their opinion, but they don't know. They're not going to know the will of God for Paul. But Paul is. Now skip down with me in uh, verse 8. It said, In the next day we that were of Paul's companies departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. The first time we see Philip is over in Acts chapter 6. He was one of the original seven deacons that were chosen to wait on tables in the, uh, the early days of the church in Jerusalem. He has proven himself faithful as a deacon. That would be the equivalent of an usher or the ministry of helps in our modern-day setting, church setting. He's proven himself faithful there, so God has apparently lifted him up to the office of the evangelist. We know in Acts chapter 8 that Philip went down to Samaria and preached Christ unto them and had a great revival. There were signs and wonders and miracles that took place down there, and they had a great revival. First revival they really had among the Gentile nations. Well, that's what this guy is. The Bible says in uh, um, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 10, it says, talking about the lesser office of a deacon, it says, let the deacons be proved. It's so funny to me, people come out of Bible school and say, I'm a prophet or I'm an apostle. I think you're an idiot. Why? Because God's instruction is even for a lesser office for somebody to be proved in a position before they're given it. One translation says it this way of uh, 1 Timothy 3.10. It says, let them operate faithfully in lesser positions. See, God expects you to prove yourself. Nobody starts out on the top in anything. You don't start off on the top in spiritual things. You prove yourself. And a lot of times that proving takes place when nobody else knows what's going on. A lot of that proving takes place just staying steady when everybody else is moving. A lot of that proving takes place with just the things that God speaks to you about when nobody else has any clue. Brother Hagin used to talk to us constantly about preparation. Constantly. He'd say preparation time is never lost time. But too many people are, not, are unwilling to prepare. They just want to run out and see the results. And it's easy to see somebody that is operating at a higher level and you want their kind of results. Well, they didn't get there overnight either. It takes time. And that's the real rub, isn't it? I mean, we want everything now. We get upset when we have to wait 30 seconds for the microwave. If someday anybody invents an instant microwave, man, they'll have it made then. We want everything right now. Well, things don't always happen right now. It takes time to develop character. So Philip proved himself as a deacon. And then God moved him on to the office of an evangelist. Verse 9, it said, The same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. And we don't know what they prophesied about, whether they were just known as speaking for God or if they had already said something to Paul that we don't have recorded. We don't know. But it says, As we tarried there, verse 10, many days there came down from Judea a certain prophet. Now notice the difference between the virgins who prophesied, Philip's daughters who prophesied, and a man standing in the ministry office of a prophet. Those are not the same things. Just because somebody speaks or prophesies doesn't mean they stand in an office of a prophet. But there's a certain man named Agabus, a prophet. And when he was come, verse 11, when he was come to us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost. Thus saith the Holy Ghost. Now, he's not going to tell them what he thinks. He's going to tell them what the Holy Ghost is saying. 
Thus saith the Holy Ghost. So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owns this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now, do you understand what's going on? He takes Paul's girdle. That's the, the middle sash. They wore these robe type things, you know, in his day. And so he's taking this middle sash, his belt, what we would know of as his belt. And he take, Agabus ties that belt around his own hands. And he says, here's what the Holy Ghost is saying. So shall the man that owneth this belt be bound in Jerusalem. In other words, he's saying they're going to throw you in prison, Paul. They're going to put you in chains. Well, he knows that already, doesn't he? So who's the Holy Ghost saying it for? Is this information for Paul? Does Paul need it? He already knows. Now, how does he know? Well, if for nothing else, he knows because the Holy Ghost has witnessed it to him in every city that he had gone into prior to Miletus in Acts chapter 20. On top of that, we see that when he goes to Tyre, he hears some of the same thing. So he's pretty well convinced this is really what's going on. Now, folks, I want you to understand something. It's easy for us to to criticize the believers in all these cities that are trying to put their own interpretation on what the Holy Ghost is saying and, and so forth. But how many places would you go now where believers would know what's coming down the road? Before we criticize them, we ought to recognize they know the Holy Ghost, don't they? They have a witness of the Spirit and recognize that witness of the Spirit. Now, they may have misinterpreted it. They may have put their own interpretation, the wrong interpretation of what they had, but at least they knew the Holy Ghost. And they're just believers. They're not ministers. They're average Christians. Well, not average Christians. They're real Christians. They know the Holy Ghost. They know what the Holy Ghost is saying. In other words, the Holy Spirit is showing them things to come. Not because they're in ministry, but because they know God. That should be something that belongs to everybody. Verse 12. And when we heard these things. Now, we means Luke and the rest of Paul's company. When we heard these things, both we, Paul's company, and they of that place. Now, who is they of that place? Philip and his daughters are the only ones we know of in that place. And they of that place. Now, I want you to notice who's not included here. Agabus is not of that place. So it says, and when we heard these things, both we and they that are of that place, besought him, Paul, not to go up to Jerusalem. Agabus is the only one in the group that's not saying, don't go, don't go, don't go. Why? Because Agabus is a prophet, understands This is what the Holy Ghost has said. They're going to put you in chains when you get there. He did not say don't go. Agabus is the only one in this situation that's not putting his own interpretation on what he's either heard or said. Can you see that? So what does that tell us? That tells us it's unscriptural to look for guidance through prophets under the new covenant. He's not giving him guidance. Why? Because act, because Romans 8.14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. It doesn't say as many as are led by prophets. And that comes back to putting the word first place, folks. You put the word first place, then what the word says and what the Holy Ghost prompts you within your own heart is more important to you than what anybody else, no matter what ministry office they stand in, tells you you ought to do. Why? Because the Holy Ghost is a safer guide than a prophet.
People's lives have been destroyed because somebody that claims to be a prophet or a prophetess gives them direction. I know of a man that I became acquainted with a man that was part of Brother Hagin's ministry or, or connected with Brother Hagin's ministry. Very wealthy man, or somewhat wealthy, I guess. But he told me a story about how he lost everything he had listening to a prophetess. He said, I used to be rich. I'm looking at him thinking, well, you look rich now. He said, what I've got now is nothing compared to what I had 20 years ago. He said, and I lost everything I had listening to some prophetess telling me how I should use and invest my money. He said, God in his mercy has restored some of it, but not everything. He said, there's a cost to being led astray by somebody else. Verse 12 again, and when we heard these things, both we, Paul's company, Luke included, and they of that place, Philip and his daughters, besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. Agabus didn't say, say a word. Then Paul answered. Now we're going to find out what Paul knows. Then Paul answered. He didn't throw out his idea. He said, look, here's how it is. Paul answered, what mean you to weep and to break my heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, there's two ways you can take this. You can take this as Paul being belligerent and saying, well, bless God, I don't care what they do. I'm going to go ahead because I think so. And if the Holy Ghost was telling him to do something to the contrary, he probably would have died and been killed in Jerusalem. Or he can be saying, guys, why are you trying to talk me out of what I know is the right thing to do? It doesn't matter to me if they put me in jail. It doesn't matter if they chain me up. It doesn't matter to me if they kill me. It doesn't matter. I know I'm doing the right thing. Now, which way is it? Could be either way. We don't know at this moment in time. We don't know. The next verse tells us. The next verse says in verse 14, And when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying the will of the Lord be done. What does that mean? That means Paul convinced them that it was more the will of God, that it was the will of God for him to go. He was more persuasive about going to Jerusalem than they were able to be persuasive about not going to Jerusalem. Paul would not be persuaded because he knew that he knew that he knew. I've got a witness from the Holy Ghost that started in Acts chapter 19, verse 21. When the Spirit of God moved me to plan to go to Jerusalem and after that to Rome, I'm so sure of this, nobody's going to talk me out of it. Now, folks, if the Spirit of God, I keep quoting this, maybe you ought to look at it. John chapter 16 and verse 13, Jesus said, How be it when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. He will guide you into all truth. If that's really true, if the work of the Holy Ghost, if the, the mission of the Holy Ghost is to guide you into all truth. That means guide you into all the, uh, the truth of the word. It means to guide you all into all the truth or the reality of God's plan for your life. God's plan for your life is victory in every area. That means it is the mission of the Holy Ghost to guide you into every area of victory. If that is true, what is more important than us being sure of the leading of the Holy Ghost? Who doesn't want victory and success in every area of life? Well, the Bible tells you how to get it. It says, number one, put the word first. Joshua 1.8, here's how you make your way prosperous. Meditate on the word and be a doer of the word. And the second way to be prosperous or have success in every area of life is to be led of the Holy Ghost because that's where he leads you. Now, it's not always a direct route. 
Being led into victory does not always mean being led from one comfortable place to a more comfortable place. But every step of his is sure. Amen? So when we, Paul's company, and they there were of that place, when we would not be, I'm sorry, and when he would not be persuaded, we, Paul's company, and the people of that place stopped. We gave up. We ceased saying the will of the Lord be done. How could they possibly say the will of the Lord be done if Paul hadn't convinced them that it's the will of God for him to go? They may have stopped. Otherwise, they would have stopped saying, well, Paul, we just think you're missing it. And we think the Holy Ghost is showing you time after time after time so that you don't go. But that's not what they said. They said we stopped persuaded that the will of the Lord is being done. That's the essence of what's being said. Paul would not be persuaded. He was that sure of the inward witness. He was that sure of the leading of God within. He would not be persuaded not to go. Folks, that's kind of that's the kind of Christianity that gets the blessings of God and receives the best of God. When you know the word of God and the leading of the Holy Ghost more than what somebody else or everybody else thinks, that's the kind of faith that receives. So what happens? Paul goes to Jerusalem, stands before the council, is put in chains, just like the Holy Ghost has said. Chapter 23, verse 11 again. After these things come to pass, after Paul has had every opportunity to be talked out of it, the Lord appears to him. Verse 11 of chapter 23, the night following, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul. Instead of, Paul, you silly fool. I told you in every city you went to not to come here. Now, that's what a lot of Christians think. That's what that's the controversy in, in some of the church circles. They think Paul missed it by going to Jerusalem. He didn't. And the reason he didn't miss it, the reason they think he missed it, because they went by the majority opinion. They go by the majority opinion. Everybody's trying to talk Paul out of going. But Paul holds his ground and does what he believes is the right thing to do. Jesus confirms what Paul had in his heart all along. Be of good cheer, Paul. For as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem... So must thou also testify of me in Rome? Folks, that's how sure the leading of the Holy Ghost can be to you and me. That's how absolutely convinced you and I can be of the leading of God. It can be more real to us than anything anybody else says. And we need to have the conviction. We need to have the courage and the backbone to do what we know the Bible says, first of all, put the word first. And secondly, the leading of the Holy Ghost, the inward witness within our own hearts about the individual specifics of our lives. The word's not going to cover the specifics of your life. The word's not going to tell you whether to live in California or, or New York. Well, how are we going to know? We're going to know by the inward witness. The word's not going to tell you whether to be an architect or a mechanic. The word doesn't cover those things in the specific areas of your life. We need to know and should know and have to know the leading of the Holy Ghost in there in the inward witness so that we can walk in God's perfect will and plan and purpose. It's the Holy Ghost leading us by the inward witness that will cause you to walk in victory in every area of your life. And he's trying. It's it's so funny to me because so many Christians are experiencing tragedy and difficulty and, and other things like that. And they, their, their comment is, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask the Lord why he let this happen to me. Well, when you get to heaven, you dummy, you're going to have the Lord ask you, why did you do these stupid things? 
It's not a matter of God letting things happen to you. He may be trying to lead you out of every one of them. I'm convinced that the Holy Ghost is always speaking. The question is, are we hearing? I'm convinced. There's an inward witness for every turn that we need to take in life. The question is, are we listening? That's why it's so important to put the word first in our lives. Amen. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Folks, I could tell you a story. I look out and I see faces in here and I could tell you story after story after story of people that came and their lives were in ruins and they started putting the word of God first, not even specifically in that area. But they just began to put the word first and then they get, maybe they got filled with the Holy Ghost. In one case, somebody I'm looking at, they got filled with the Holy Ghost. And then that started changing other areas of their lives. And the area that they thought was the real problem area of their life really became something that was a side issue because God began to bless them in every other area. Putting the word first always works. It always works. And the reason it always works is because God wants better for you than you want for yourself. Now, that's one of the hardest things that's always been, for me, has been one of the hardest things for me to accept. How could God want better for me than I want for me? Well, the time that I had the biggest problem with that is when the things that I wanted weren't in line with the Word. But as I've turned my desires to what the Bible says we should want and should care about and should put first, man, now it's just a matter of, okay, Lord, if I don't know what to do, it's your problem, not mine. Holy Ghost, it's your job to give me an inward witness and to lead me into victory. My job's to say in the word. It's the Holy Ghost's job to lead me. I'm not going to trade places with him. I'm not going to be the guide. I'm the follower. I just have better success that way. When I go to God in prayer saying, Lord, this may look like a problem, but it's not my problem. This is yours. You said, your word says that victory belongs to me. It doesn't look like victory. So, Holy Ghost, you better get busy. I don't say that in arrogance. It's just the way that it works. I'm not really worried about the Holy Ghost falling down on his part of the job. I'm just reminding the Lord that I'm, we're in this together. You said you'd lead me if I follow. I'm ready to follow. Lead away. Folks, that brings me great comfort where the ministry is concerned. I'm not responsible to build a crowd. Isn't that good news? <laughs> Jesus said he'd build the church. It's a real comfort to me to know I don't have to build it. It's his problem. Pastors get all wrung out. What's your attendance? Has your attendance gone down with the economy? Or your, or your, is your giving off? Is your tithes and offerings? Is, is that falling off since the economy is going bad? That, none of that's my problem. I learned a long time ago. My individual motto is I don't care. As I've said before, that makes it tough to put on your bulletin. Foothill Family Church, we don't care. And you understand there are a lot of things I do care about where people are concerned. And I spend a lot of time praying for you. But have you noticed something? Those of you that have been, we've been going here for, uh, well, since 1986, January of 1986. How long is that? 27 years? 27? I don't know, whatever it is. Since 1986. How many tragedies has our church had? How many blindsided events have we had? Now, we had a long time with the problem with the building and, the, and that kind of stuff. But how many 
situations arise in our church that are just so out of the blue and, 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 you know, this terrible thing happens to this family or that terrible thing happens to that family. We don't have any of that stuff. You know why we don't? Because we're building a church on the word. We're building a church teaching people to be led by the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost will warn you about things. And I'll tell you this, we've never had a death in the church that I haven't been prepared for at least two weeks ahead. I don't always know who it is. Sometimes I have, but other times I have not. But there have been times that I've awakened on Monday morning and I'll know I'm going to have to do a funeral next week. I start looking around. Who is it, Lord? Who is it, Lord? Is it me? I don't always know that. God don't always show, doesn't always show you everything about it. But he'll prepare you for things to come. He'll prepare you for things to come. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Amen. Well, let's all stand. Say that after me. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. His job, folks, you need to understand, his job is to lead you. Every one of you. Not just somebody that's in ministry. This belongs to everybody. His job is to lead you. Where is he going to lead you? He's going to lead you, number one, into the Word. Number two, he's going to lead you into God's victorious plan for your life. Now, you tell me, what area of your life does God want you to not succeed in? What area does he want you to fail in? Does he want you to be successful financially but but be sick? Of course not. Does he want you to be uh, be healthy but not have enough to provide for your family? Of course not. Does he want you to be just so-so on your job? No, of course not. He wants the favor of God to show you to be his best. Every area of your life, God wants you to experience victory. And it's the Holy Ghost's job to lead you there. Let him do his job. You quit trying to do his job and do your part of putting the word first place in your life and watch him do his work. Father, we thank you so much for the Holy Ghost. Thank you for leading us and guiding us by your spirit. Thank you for the inward witness. Lord, as we put your word first, we thank you that the voice of the spirit becomes distinct in every area of life. Holy Spirit, we depend on you to be our guide, to walk us into victory, to bring the reality of God's word and his promises to pass in our lives. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Thank you for being our comforter and our helper. Thank you for being our guide, our teacher. In Jesus' precious name. Say it with me. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Amen.